0: that you would take this service. Lord, we have set it aside for your worship. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to worship you in the songs that we sing. To listen to the words and Lord, not only sing them with our voice, but sing them with our soul to you. Because you are the resting place of our faith. Our faith rests upon your word, upon what you teach us in the Bible. And Lord, we ask that we would look to your word today and be challenged and strengthened and encouraged to simply be faithful to you in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next hymns. When all is lost, treasure when all is lost. And I want us to just read two verses out of Isaiah chapter 33. And then we'll go to the book of Second Kings and pick up. The context uh, of the history and when this prophecy was made, uh, one of the things that we stress around uh, uh, this church and stress in the preaching and teaching of God's Word is to keep and understand God's Word in the context in, in which it was given. There's an historical context. There were things going on in history. There was a cultural understanding of uh, of how people did things and, and how they uh, presented and walked through life. And, and then there's a grammatical and a, uh, a textual context in which it is. And then once we understand those, we can look for application to how this passage can apply to you and I today. And so, uh, Isaiah chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 5 and 6. The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. And strength of salvation, the fear of... Of the Lord is his treasure. One more time The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness, and wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. And I want to preach this morning on treasure when all is lost. Turn with me to the book of Second Kings, chapter eighteen, if you would. Second Kings, chapter eighteen. When we go just one more chapter, uh, verse thirty-four, uh, we'll find the letter, and thirty-four through thirty-six, the letter from Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and how he is blaspheming the God of Israel and talking about wanting to uh destroy uh the nation of, of Judah and you'll have to remember uh we uh, in our Sunday school we just finished this morning with the life of David and David is is ready to die at the end of his life there's one kingdom Solomon is going to reign for 40 years and then the kingdom will be divided and now when we get to 2 Kings chapter 18 Uh, We're now another 400 years advanced from the time of Solomon. And uh, almost 400 years, not quite. And uh, the Assyrian king, uh, what we would call uh, uh, modern-day Iraq, northern Iraq. Most of you, if you listen to the news at all, you'll hear the city of Mosul named over and over again as one of the centers of the violence there. Well, the Old Testament name for Mosul is Nineveh, uh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And their armies were still trying to destroy Israel. In fact, here's how bad it got. Let's look at this in verse 13 of chapter 18. Now, in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, who reigned in Jerusalem, did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria to Lachish, saying, I have offended, return from me. That which thou puttest on me will I bear. And the king of Assyria pointed unto Hezekiah, the king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Now, just so you get the understanding, a talent was a monetary donation, uh, denomination. It worked out to about 75 pounds. So... Uh, silver, I believe, is somewhere around $40 an ounce. There's 13 ounces in a pound. And figure up, uh, 13 times 75 times 300, that's just silver. Gold, somewhere around fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars $1,500 an ounce, 13 of them in a pound. And... Uh, He wants 30 talents of gold. Uh, Just put it in today's facts. That's a lot of money. Now, here's what Hezekiah did. You have to realize that the troops of Assyria were literally occupying the land of Judah. Uh, Jerusalem was surrounded. It was cut off. Uh, the only help that uh, Hezekiah had, the only protection, uh, the only defense, uh, the only hope of driving the Assyrians out of the land was the little part of the army that he had stationed in Jerusalem. Everything else was controlled by the king of Syria. And so it says in verse 15, And Hezekiah gave him the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house. At that time, verse 16, did Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria? Now, that's pretty desperate, isn't it? In order to get the tribute money that he was he was told by the king of Assyria, if you'll pay this amount, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of of, of gold. Uh, I'll pack up my army and I'll head back to Assyria and I'll leave you alone. Hezekiah said, we'll get it. Anything for you to leave us alone. And so he goes looking for gold and silver and scrapes the treasuries, goes into the house of the Lord and everything that was stored there, he empties out and sweeps out and he still doesn't have enough. And so he sends his servants to scrape the gold that Solomon had overlaid the doors of the temple off. Trying to come up with enough gold and enough silver to pay the ransom, to pay the blackmail, whatever you want to call it, extortion of the king of Syria. Now, that wasn't the worst of it. The king of Syria, when he said, "Ha, ah, you would come up with this much, there's got to be more somewhere else. And he decides that he's going to destroy the cities of Judah anyway. Now, this took months in dealing back and forth and getting everything done. And it was during this time, before God had sent his deliverance, and some of you will remember the story, uh, the, his general comes to Jerusalem and tries to put fear and, 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 and uh, taunt the men that are on the wall and, and frighten the soldiers into surrendering without a battle. And Hezekiah already knew the strategy, and so he just told him, you be quiet, don't answer a word. And he takes the letters to Isaiah, the prophet of God. The second letter... Hezekiah takes and he goes into the to the temple there at Jerusalem, having taken off his kingly robes and putting on sackcloth as a sign of mourning and humility and spreads this letter out before the Lord and says, I want you to see the blasphemy of the king of Assyria against you. And God did take notice. And he sent one angel into the camp of the Assyrians And the next morning when the sun came up, 185,000 soldiers were dead in their tents. But you know what? That hadn't happened yet. In fact, if that did not happen, Sennacherib would have taken Jerusalem and, and subjugated the people he had already removed. The ten northern tribes, Israel, had already been removed out of their land, Syrians had already been conquered. Uh, the only countries that were left in their power was Egypt and this little tiny nation called Judah. Those were the days. And now I want you to turn back with me to the book of Isaiah. And it was during this very time, before God's deliverance had happened, when everything was darkest, when everything was lost, when Hezekiah actually went into the temple of God and scraped the gold from the doors and said, we're going to, we're going to pay off this guy somehow. Now, let me ask you a question. Was Hezekiah trusting in the Lord when he did all these things? No. No. He didn't know what else to do. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many times have you come up to a point in your life where you said, I just don't know what to do? It looks like the bad guys are winning. I mean, evil is in control. Uh, I'm not sure why this has been such a recurring theme over the last uh, several months, but it's just something the Lord keeps laying on my heart continually. And so it's... It's something we better get a hold of. You see, we come to verse thirty-three, chapter thirty-three, and verse one, and this is uh, one of six woes that is pronounced by Isaiah the prophet. And whenever you see that word in the Bible, "woe," uh, that is not slow down. That's W O A H. Woe means Great destruction. Woe means complete and all-consuming sorrow is headed your way. Uh, It doesn't get any worse in the Bible than the word woe. So when you see it, you'd better stop and you better pay attention because God is saying something that is going to have... Critical import on the events of your time. Things are going to change. It is not going to be good when the word woe is put in your direction. I want us to read these verses here. Woe to thee that spoilest, and was not spoiled, and dealest treacherously, and they dealt not treacherously with thee. When thou shalt cease to spoil, thou shalt be spoiled. And when thou shalt make an end of dealing treacherously, then shall, I'm sorry, they shall deal treacherously with thee. O Lord, be gracious unto us. We have waited for thee. Be thou their arm every morning, our salvation also in the time of trouble. At the noise of the tumult, the people fled. At the lifting up of thyself, the nations were scattered. And your spoils shall be gathered like the gathering of the caterpillar. As the running to and fro of locusts shall he run upon them. The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord... Is his treasure. Now, we can read on, but I I want us to look at what is being said. I want us to understand something. Isaiah was pronouncing this prophecy. Now, did Isaiah go out uh, to the camp of the king Sennacherib of Assyria and say, Woe unto you! Now, that's who the woe was pronounced against. He said, woe unto he that spoileth and is not spoiled. I mean, nobody was telling the king of Assyria no. I mean, take time and read those letters. And they list all of the cities and all of the peoples that they had conquered. Assyria was uh, the the first great world empire. And basically what happened to the Assyrians was their leadership kind of dissolved and the Babylonians uh, basically assumed that. And we're going to hear of just in a, uh, a little while in history from this point of a guy named Nebuchadnezzar who is going to destroy the city of Jerusalem. And that's where Daniel comes in in all of his prophecies. But this was a great world kingdom and they went through conquering and, and at their time ruled what we would know or what we would call the then known world. And Isaiah pronounces woe upon them. He says, when you stop spoiling, you're going to be spoiled. When you stop dealing treacherous, treacherously, you're going to be dealt with treacherously. What you have done to others is what he's saying is going to be done to you. And, and we have the Assyrian Empire just literally disappearing in a matter of 70, 80 years and the Babylonian Empire coming up and assuming all of their authority and all of their lands. In fact, Babylon, uh, is not that far From Mosul, geographically, they're in the same country, the country of Iraq, just down the Euphrates River a little ways, and and everything that was Assyrian was going to disappear. I mean, what Isaiah said happened. But I want to ask you a question, who was Isaiah saying it to? He was saying it to just a little group of Jews in the city of Jerusalem. Most of the Jews who were living in the outward area there were already under the domination of the king of Assyria. Their their cities were already being pillaged. and, And I mean, when the Assyrians took over, the first place they stopped was the bank and took everything out. Uh, that belonged to everybody, and then they went house to house and took anything and everything that was of value. They were uh, uh, they they were without mercy and and, and just uh, it was a, a terrible terrible thing that was going on. And here we have Isaiah saying, "Woe to the spoiler!" Now you know what? It didn't look like the spoiler was getting any woe right now. He was getting lots of dough. I mean, it was just coming in hand over fist. Everything he tried to do was working out for him so very well. It seemed like God was doing nothing. And Isaiah, the prophet of God in the city of Jerusalem, says, Whoa. Now, when God says, Whoa, bad things are going to happen. And it did. But they didn't know bad things were going to happen yet. Are you getting the picture yet? You see, God in verse 5, where we're going to start our real digging into the scripture, said, The Lord is exalted. You know what? God has not gone anywhere, He is not sitting in a rocking chair. Going, Boy, I just don't know what I'm going to do about every all the bad things that are going on in the world today. The Lord is exalted. He is still God. He will never cease being God. And by the way, He has not taken one bit of His glory, one, one ounce of His deity, one... One uh, small smidgen of His holiness, He has not sacrificed anything of who He is. God does not abdicate His position as God so that men can have something to do. So many religions teach that, well, God's not here right now, so He's going to let us take care of it. That's why they fight wars. Uh that's why the Catholic Church fought all those wars. I mean, even to this day, the Catholic Church is the only religion in the world that has an embassy at the United Nations. Because the the Pope does not only claim spiritual authority, he claims the physical authority. He claims to be the personal image of Jesus Christ here on earth. Now, as far as I'm concerned, and as far as this book called the Bible is concerned, that is blasphemy. But the name of the embassy is the Embassy of the Holy See, capital S-E-E, to the United Nations. That is a title that belongs to God. Because He is the only all-seeing one. That, that's what that title means. You see, words do mean something. And as we look around our world today, I'll tell you, it's not much lighter or brighter than it was for Hezekiah in the days that he lived. There's how we get an application. It looks like the world is winning, but I want you to understand one thing. The Lord is exalted. Now, I want you to look at what it says here about this. It says, He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. Now, God's judgment was coming on the army of Assyria. In just a very short period of time, this campaign that King Sennacherib was on was going to end in defeat. And... uh, 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 every every he was going to be dishonored in every way. He would go back to his own country uh, with his head uh, covered and and in mourning. His entire army would be just taken away from him in one night. You say, how does that happen? Well, God did it. God could have used some type of disease, the plague or something like that. It has been known to wipe out thousands of people in just a few hours, just to. A matter of a day and a half, plague can go through, black plague, the black death that uh, depopulated Europe in the Middle Ages. We, it, but God said he sent his angel, and the, and the entire army was dead. I wonder who buried him. I mean, that that would have been a job. No bulldozers, no Department of Health, no... Uh, great earth-moving equipment. Something had to happen. I'll tell you what, it wasn't good, whatever it was. But that hadn't happened yet. And yet it says, The Lord is exalted, for He dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. Now, Zion... Is the name in the Bible for the Temple Mount? For the Temple. Mount Zion, Zion. Now, the Temple was the place at this time where the Ark of God actually resided. You know what was in that Ark? Was the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God that God had given Moses from Mount Sinai. God's Word was in that Ark. You know what was also there in the temple were the scrolls that had copies of what you and I would call the Bible today. Some of those scrolls were being written, right? As we uh, uh, talk, Isaiah, these events were happening, and and they were being recorded, and, and the things that had happened, and the history, and... And uh, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, the book of Job, much of the song, almost all of the book of Psalms was all held there. The Word of God was there. And you know what the Word of God tells us? What's the first thing you know about this book called the Bible? It tells me some things are wrong. Isn't that about the first thing you understand about the Bible? Well, that's what judgment is. Judgment is the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And you know, if there's any problem, if there was any problem in the days of Hezekiah, it was the fact that they had no judgment. In fact, Hezekiah's judgment was so messed up that he was emptying the treasuries of the house of God, the things that were dedicated to God, and giving them to Sennacherib to go away from him. And when he didn't have enough, He was actually scraping the decoration off of the temple of God to give it to this godless king. I mean, how how bad could your judgment be? I mean, if you wanted help, where were you going to get it? Hezekiah wasn't going to get it from his army. Most of it was already conquered and held captive by the Assyrians. He just had a little tiny force there in the city of Jerusalem. He had nothing but God, and yet what was he doing? He was dishonoring God so that he could honor the Syrian king. Does that sound like a lack of judgment to you? Uh, I hope it does. Because it, it was. It was terrible. It was utterly foolish. You see, the only place that you can find out the difference between right and wrong is in this book called the Bible. Several years ago, I was called up for jury duty. And, uh, of course, they put you in a little box and they start asking questions. And And I've told the story before. I hope you don't mind hearing it again. But the district attorney there says, uh, uh, Mr. Montoro or Reverend Montoro, uh, what should I call you? And, and, and uh says, now, it says here you're a minister. Can you... Uh, sit in judgment of another human being. And I said, well, I said, my, my job as a pastor is taking the words of the, of the Bible. I didn't hold my Bible up in the courtroom. I said, taking the words of the Bible and applying them to situations. I said, I, uh, that we live in to discern what is right and what is wrong. I said, I, I don't think that, that I'd have a problem doing that. said, but you can't use the Bible in this courtroom. And uh, I don't know what possessed me, but I just answered that. And I said, well, last time I checked, most of the laws of this land were all about trying to keep the Ten Commandments. And the whole courtroom burst out in laughter. And the face of the district attorney turned bright red. And I got a high five by the bailiff on the way out. But for some reason, they didn't put me on the jury. And and I wasn't trying to be belligerent in any way. But you cannot deny the correlation between the legal system of the United States and the Ten Commandments that are in this book. You cannot separate them. You see... God's judgment, it's the only place that we can tell the difference between right and wrong, my friend. And what's it say? He's filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. You know what? It's not enough to just know the difference between right and wrong. How many of you know the difference between right and wrong and did wrong anyway? Anyway. Would you like to lift your hand and give testimony to that fact? Okay. And if your hand is not up, we'll understand that you're lying. And that you've just added to the the total there. I mean, we know what is right. And we still choose wrong. But God's book is full of righteousness. You know what? This book will teach you how to... Do right. You know what Isaiah was saying to Hezekiah? He's saying, Hezekiah, you've got to understand something. In fact, the, the spoiler that is spoiling. The king of Assyria who has lied to you and dealt treacherously with you, he promised to leave when you paid the ransom price. And when you paid the ransom price, he just changed uh, the, the requirements. And he's still going to try to destroy Jerusalem because he is a treacherous and dishonest man. Let me tell you something. When the spoiler stops spoiling, I'm going to spoil him. When the liar stops lying, guess what? I'm going to deal with him as a liar. That's what God was saying. He's saying, listen, Hezekiah, you just wait. But you've got to understand something, Hezekiah. Your waiting is not just waiting. Zion. That temple that's right next to your palace is full of judgment. And you're not exercising very good judgment right now, Mr. Hezekiah. You're not doing those things which are right. And if you want to honor the God that is still reigning in heaven, you better start walking in the ways of righteousness. And the only place you're going to find that is in God's Word. God's Word was in the temple. Hezekiah was a good king, a righteous king for the most part. But that doesn't mean that he always did what was right. Now, let's go back and look at verse 6. And as I was reading through the book of Isaiah, this is the passage that just jumped out. And I said, man, I've got to preach on this. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. Now, uh, it's talking about times. Times is the years. uh, The years in which belong to the personal pronoun, the possessive pronoun there is thy. Thy. So as Isaiah is giving this prophecy to the people living in Jerusalem, he says, the Lord is exalted, he for He dwelleth on high. He has not left heaven. He has not stepped off His throne. He has filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. You better get to the Word of God and find out what God says so that you'll stop doing the wrong and learn how to walk in the way of Righteousness. And he said, if you want stability in your time, in your life, there are two things that are necessary. Wisdom and knowledge. Now, how many times have you heard the word stability or forms of that word used in the news this past week? I mean, you hear the markets are not very stable. They're fluctuating up and down. The stability of the price of oil. Uh, It looks like it's heading down. I mean, you hear that word all the time. You know why? Because nothing is stable. They're talking about how unstable the government in Yemen is right now and how it's about to be overthrown by uh, a group of uh, uh, supported by the nation of Iran. And I mean, this is all really scary stuff. Well, let me read you the definition of the word stability. In physical senses, power of remaining erect, freedom from liability to fall or be overthrown. Subdefinition one, ability to remain in the same relative place or position in spite of disturbing influences. Capacity for resistance to displacement. The condition of being in a state... In stable equilibrium, tendency to recover the original position after displacement. Also of a body in motion, freedom from oscillation, steadiness. Definition two of an immaterial thing. Immunity from destruction or essential change. Enduring quality of government, institutions, customs, etc. Isn't that an interesting word that is stuck in the middle of your King James Bible? You know the reason that word is there? Because the words of the original Hebrew demand that that word be put there in English so that we understand what was being said in the Hebrew. And, and uh, that word stability is something that the world desires, is it not? How many of you wish you had stable income? Uh, I mean, this this whole idea of stability. We we live in crazy times. I remember some uh, several years ago they were going on strike here in the city, one of the public things, and they weren't supposed to. And they said we want job security. And I said, okay, I understand your union says that you're striking for job security. But is New York City ever going to stop running buses? I mean, this was a real life situation. The bus drivers were on strike. Let me ask you a question. Is New York City going to stop running buses? Uh, Not going to happen. So don't argue about job stability, Mr. Union Man. It's going to be there. You're arguing about something else. You're arguing about who's in control. And that's what the fight has always been. And always will be. You say, are you against unions? You know what? I'm against dishonest people wherever they be found. And unfortunately, there's enough dishonesty to go around all the way. But to say that you're Striking for job stability when the jobs aren't going anywhere is not an honest statement now, is it? And you see, we live in a world that is run by dishonesty. Just like Hezekiah's was. The Bible word is treacherousness. He said, if you're going to be stable in these treacherous times, if you want stability in your life, in the time that belongs to you, you're going to need two things. You're going to need wisdom, and you're going to need knowledge. You see, knowledge by itself is a very dangerous thing. What does the Bible tell us about knowledge? First Corinthians 13. Knowledge puffeth up. Have you ever met somebody that thought they knew everything? I'll tell you what, there's no harder person to deal with than somebody who thinks they know what the answers are. How many of you have ever turned in a math test that you were sure you were right on and you got marked wrong anyway? You know what? That's why wisdom comes first. Because without wisdom, knowledge will only destroy. You've got to have both wisdom and knowledge in order to be stable. You've got to know what to do. You have to have enough wisdom to apply the knowledge. Can I tell my favorite little story about this? actually supposed to have happened, a nuclear power plant. They had an emergency shutdown. Everything was uh, just uh, a total mess. They couldn't figure out what the problem is, and they called in a consultant. And he says, uh, uh, I need a need a crayon. So he went out and bought a crayon and came into the plant and uh, walked around. They said, now tell me what's going on, they told him. And he, he walks over to a pipe. And he puts a crayon mark on it and he says, take this assembly apart, put it back together again, the plant will operate. And they did. And it worked. And the next week they got the bill. It was $10,000. He'd only been in the plant for 10 minutes. And they said, wait wait a minute, $10,000, you're only there 10 minutes. They said, could you itemize that? says, sure. So, he sends him back an itemization. Red crayon, 99 cents. Knowing how to use the red crayon balance of the bill. He fixed the problem. You see, there's only one place where you're going to get wisdom. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be any less offensive than I need to be, but all of the literature of the mystical religions of the East does not have wisdom. You know, every once in a while, somebody will stumble onto something and say something that is actually wise. Man does that occasionally. But could I challenge you that if it's really true wisdom, it's already in here? And just because somebody else happens to say something wise, does not mean they have the right to overrule what the Word of God has already said? And by the way, you're never going to get wisdom until you have enough knowledge of this book to know what to do with it. You see, the last phrase says, "Well, let's let's finish this. Wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times, and strength of salvation." Now I've told you the story. What could be stronger? than God sending an angel to destroy the entire Assyrian army in one night. Do you know of anything stronger than that? I mean, the king woke up and they called his his man, if he was still alive, and said, marshal the troops, and they blew the trumpet or whatever it was to sound assembly, and nothing moved in the camp. What's wrong? And they went out. and and every tent was full of dead men. No marks, no violence, just dead. 185,000 corpses. Imagine that. Well, don't imagine it too much. That's pretty sick. There was nothing left for the king of Assyria to do except to pack his bags and go home. And his own sons, while he was worshipping his God in his temple, were so upset and disheartened, uh, disheartened and, and, uh, and, and felt so insulted by the failure that their father had wrought, that they snuck up behind him in the temple and murdered their own father in the temple of his God as he worshipped there. That's how big a mess the Assyrian Empire was in. No wonder it disappeared. But let me tell you something. God's salvation is strong. If it took an angel to go out and kill the entire Assyrian army, which it did, God has the strength to do that. He only sent one angel, by the way. Jesus said, listen, as he was facing the cross, he said, if I wanted to, I could call legions of angels. You know what would happen if he had done that? He'd had to get the cosmic street sweeper to come by with his little uh, dustpan on a handle and a broom and sweep up the earth and go somewhere else. There'd have been nothing left of this place. But Jesus suffered the cross because it was the will of the Father. So we could be set free from our sins. The strength of thy salvation. You know what? No force in this universe can take your salvation away. If you're trusting in God, his salvation is sure, it is complete. And his salvation is always there. If it takes the death of the entire Assyrian army, it's going to. Look at what happens in the book of Revelation. I mean, there are some tremendous things, some incredible things that are going to happen yet in the future. I believe the Bible's true. You know what? I'm not afraid when the scientists Stands there and tells me that the earth is four and a half billion years old. Therefore, creation could not possibly have happened. You know what? I am not an old man. But when I was in school, the earth wasn't that old. Uh, they were only talking about a couple hundred a million years. And now they multiplied it by thousands. Why? Because we've gotten enough brains to know that what we say happened couldn't possibly happen in a couple of hundred million years. It had to take four and a half billion. Well, somebody went through and did the math and said there's no possible way for it to happen in that amount of time either. But they're sticking by that one now. It, that's that's where they kind of just uh, uh, stuck. And well, they say, but the universe is actually older. Uh, 13 billion light years across, it's, it's, it's got to be that much older. I mean, they just keep expanding and expanding. And they're never going to find enough time to fit into what God did in six literal days, in six literal nights. Because He still reigns on high. Zion is full of judgment and righteousness. Amen. Wisdom and knowledge is going to be the stability of thy times. That's talking to you and me. That was talking to the people alive in Jerusalem in his days. And it says the strength of thy salvation and strength of thy salvation. Wisdom and knowledge is stability. Wisdom and knowledge is strength. And then it makes this final statement. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Now, I want to challenge you who's his? Now, in my notes, so that I wouldn't forget, I capitalized his because I believe the his there is talking about the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the Lord's treasure. You know what he wants to do? He wants to give you his treasure. What does treasure do? The word treasure, and I, I didn't look up the definition because I didn't figure we'd have too much of a problem with that. It is something of unestimable value. It is something that is valuable beyond our understanding. That's why we call it treasure treasure. Right? Now, if I have treasure, if if Hezekiah understood, and by the way, before it was all over, he did, that the fear of the Lord was his treasure, not the gold that was on the doors of the temple, not the silver that was stored and the gold that was stored in the house of the Lord and in the king's house. You see, we think that's our treasure. But Jesus said that kind of treasure in the Sermon on the Mount can be corrupted it can be stolen. And it can also be appropriated by the government. Tax time's coming up. But I have yet to know of an IRS agent that's trying to tax the fear of the Lord. You know what? They can't get it. Even if they wanted to. Because if they got it, they'd come here instead of the office on Monday morning. Amen. Listen, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. If you want God's treasure, by the way, treasure solves problems, does it not? treasure pays bills doesn't it i mean treasure is worth more than anything else that's why we call it treasure now let's look at the life of hezekiah and what was going on he he needed treasure you know what they used treasure to do hire armies Hezekiah had no treasure, physically speaking, left. He'd given it all away to try to keep the armies of Sennacherib out of the city of Jerusalem. And guess what? It didn't work. But he started to cash in on God's treasure. He got his heart right. He stopped seeking to himself and his counselors... And he started seeking to God in the fear of the Lord. And God sent one angel out and destroyed the entire army of the Assyrians. And all of a sudden, Hezekiah didn't need an army anymore because there was no army left to fight. In fact, there were more Jewish soldiers than there were Assyrian soldiers now. And the Assyrians didn't bother staying around trying to count. They packed their bags and headed home because they were afraid they would be destroyed. Are we getting this? The treasure, when all else, when all is lost, is the fear of the Lord, because God's the only one that can do anything. I mean, every once in a while I hear this ad: "You need to stock up on durable food that will last years and keep you safe." Well, do you know what's going to happen if you have a store of food and nobody else does? You'd better be willing to share or you're going to lose it all. It's going to happen. So I'll build myself a fortress and I'll, I'll have a bunker under the ground and I'll shoot anyone that comes in. Are you going to shoot your next door neighbor? Some people would. I don't want to do that. God hasn't called me to shoot people. Call me love people. See, the fear of the Lord is His treasure. Hezekiah couldn't protect himself. But when he tapped into God's treasure, God protected Hezekiah. Do you get the story here? Are are we getting the application for you and I today? You see, the Lord has not gone away. He's still on His throne. He's still exalted. He still reigns on high. You know what? The spoiler is spoiling. The liar is dealing treacherously. God says, you just wait. When they stop, when they're finished, my turn. And if they're not ready to stop when I'm ready for them to stop, they're going to stop anyway. Because I'm God. And you're not. You see, that's why we've got to get into this book. Because that's where judgment is. You see, God can't bless us and protect us, He couldn't protect Hezekiah while He's scraping the gold off the temple doors. Because that's not what Hezekiah was supposed to do. That's not the fear of the Lord. That's the fear of Sennacherib. But you see, when Hezekiah got that thing straightened out and took the letters of Sennacherib into the temple of God and to the man of God to to pray and to cry out to God, does that sound like wisdom and knowledge? To stop trying to solve the problem yourself and just start being obedient to God's word? That sounds like wisdom and knowledge. And he trusted in God for salvation. Let me tell you, the only salvation you can have is God's. It's the stability of your times. It's how you can stay on an even keel when the whole world turns over and capsizes and sinks. Amen? You see, the fear of the Lord is His treasure. Let me just read a few verses and we'll be done. Psalm 111.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. His praise endureth forever. Proverbs one seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs chapter 2 verse 5 says, after we seek for it as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The treasure that God wants you and I to have is the ability to fear him. Let me ask you a question. Are you more afraid of disobeying God than you are your boss at work? Somebody told me one time, says, Pastor, you got to help me. My, my boss wants me to lie. And I I told my boss that I would never do it again. I said, you don't have a leg to stand on. You've already done it once. It's now expected behavior. I said, there's nothing you can do. You've changed the rules. You were more afraid of your boss than you were of God. I wish I had something encouraging to tell you, but I don't. The only thing I can tell you is go find another job. And don't lie the first time. What else can you do, my friend? You see, the treasure is the fear of the Lord. Because no matter what happens to me, if I got there fearing the Lord, His salvation is strong. It is His wisdom and His knowledge that will make me stable and get me through this time. It is His judgments and His righteousness that will be my reward when I stand before His throne. You see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. You cannot know or understand anything truly without understanding the fear of the Lord first. You see, once I have that treasure, it will give us salvation. A salvation so strong and so complete that the entire world cannot take it away from you. You cannot be moved from the salvation that God gives you. That will give you stability in these times where everybody is changing. See, God will be exalted when His words are lived in the lives of those that have faith in Him. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You. And Lord, I'll be the first to admit this is not a simple message. It's one that requires a little bit of thought and understanding It's one that requires some time and some effort. And Lord, I pray that we would invest in Your Word. That we would take some time and understand what the fear of the Lord truly is. Lord, I pray that You would work in hearts and lives today. There are people who are sitting here in this auditorium that are not saved. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would turn their eyes upon Jesus and simply trust in Him. No reservations. Just in Jesus. No church. No good works. No nothing. Only Jesus. Lord, I pray for those that are just being dealt with treacherously by this world. Who are being spoiled, who have things taken away from them that they have a right to have. But Lord, that we would look to the great treasure, not that which can be taken away by the world. But that which is strong because it's secured by the very hand of God, which is our salvation. The fear of the Lord is your treasure and you want to give that to us, Lord. And we're so foolish, we're afraid to accept it we're afraid to relinquish that which we cannot keep so that we could obtain that which we could never have without your grace and your love. Lord, I ask that you would work in hearts today that we would understand this passage and the incredible promises that are in it. And Lord, that we would find That great treasure. What you deem valuable. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitations.